0: it's wednesday may 24th this is accelerate daily today we've got a look at Jimi hendrix at 54 ai future of microsoft's cortana with a side of Stuxnet, hugging face partnering with ibm adobe debuting generative ai in photoshop and a recipe for mass content pre-generation put on your goggles let's jump into it welcome back everybody i'm adam my name is mckenzie good morning Uh, We're back with three links and one recipe to keep you caught up on what's happening in AI today. In another 24 hours. How you doing? Oh, living the dream. (laughs) I saw a meme the other day. It was a college humor video uh, about, uh, it was like girl winter. And it was about how offices (laughs) get
1: real cold. The AC turns on. During the summer when (laughs) the AC turns on. Yeah, that's a great one.
0: I live that. There's a time of the summer where for my life outside of my office it makes sense to be bald. So I have a shaved head now, but like, then I get down in the office to work and I'm like, Oh, it's cold. I need to put a hat on. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the solution. If anyone wants to advertise on that space, call me. <laughs> okay. Uh the lead image is great today. Yeah. The prompt is a simple one, but it came out nicely. Jimi Hendrix performing on Saturday night live in 1996.
1: Mm hmm. That's exactly what this is. There's a little bit of like prints going on. For sure. Yeah.
0: But they're, they're,
1: they're, they're, you know, parallel aesthetics. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Fair. Now, what was this stable diffusion or mid journey? Do you know? uh, Mid journey, I think. Whoa, that's wicked.
0: Yeah, the full, check out the link. If even if you're watching the live stream, check out the link for the full square versions. If they're coming out of mid journey, mid journey's output is a one by one. I have to zoom in to make a thumbnail sized on YouTube. But if you zoom out, like the background is what really makes this perfect as being on SNL. Right. Like the house band is behind them doing something. You recognize the saxophone player, but he's rocking out.
1: That's awesome. So, first up, we've got announcements from Microsoft for Windows 11. And one of them is a doozy. There's some in this article, there's some like small ones that are fine, yeah. but one of them is really, really
0: big. Yeah, the, uh, the link is Ars Technica reporting. Built-in chat GPT-driven Copilot will transform Windows 11 starting in June. Cortana's out.
1: <laughs> chat
0: GPT is in.
1: Yeah. So this is going to be a whole new, like if, if you're familiar with like the start menu, this is going to be a similar experience to a start menu. It's like, it's literally called a Copilot, and it's going to be a window that's always on your screen on the sidebar. That whatever it is that you're doing, browsing the internet, word processing, image generation, video editing, whatever it is, Copilot can see that process. And you can paste stuff in and ask questions about the page that you're looking at. There's like a ton of promise features. This is really exciting. Kind of scary for me as an AI developer to just have like somebody beat me to like, you know, they're like putting a competing product on the OS. But I think it's ultimately going to be a lot better experience for a lot of people and it's basically just going to completely change the way that we like interface with computers. Like the interface is going to be different kind of until we don't have this interface anymore, I think. I think this is like a permanent right. upgrade. You can kind of follow this
0: thread through like quick launches and stuff. Like if you grew up in the era before Spotlight, there were like plugins that got popular. It was called like QuickSilver. They did exactly the same thing. You hit a quick key and just type the thing that you want and it's just a faster way to find the thing that you want. Yeah. Uh the faster way is search. The faster way is but like this layer gets really interesting because it's ChatGPT. But I want to back it up for a second on this one. Can we talk about the failure failure of Cortana a little bit? Yeah. Uh, I remember this that. Was, I- this was an interesting one from the beginning. Yeah. Because it was at a time when Microsoft was kind of trying to merge the, the, the place where the gaming lived in their universe on Xbox and their Windows platforms. And So they named their like, internal assistant after the, like, AI computer voice that's scripted inside of the Halo video games, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. She was um a, a heads-up display assistant. Like, a co-pilot, right? She was, like, a more advanced, like, personality-infused co-pilot. I, yeah, I grew up. I, I got an Xbox in the year 2000 and it came with Halo Combat. Yeah. It. And so that was, like, I was so excited for when they were like announcing this product. I was like, oh, no way. Like, they really made this in real life. And then you get it. And it's, it's not that. And I think that kind of cognitive dissonance of like, oh, there's this scripted, like, like really robust personality to the AI. And then the Cortana that we got was, didn't have that much personality. It wasn't that advanced. So th- it's, that just kind of like flopped. And now they're moving to like this co-pilot rebrand, which I personally like. Microsoft has a broader uh, history of
0: failing at this, too. This is clippy. Clippy 2.0. Uh, to some extent. But the thing about both of them is like the metaphor is not wrong. They were just way too early to promising the computer from the next generation by the way that they branded the thing. I was just turned it off during totally. setup. I never had an experience of taking Cortana or even their system wide search seriously, which I don't think is fair. You always find what you're looking for. It's just not as intuitive as Apple, I think. But this is yeah. a totally
1: different. Anyway, there's, there's a number of smaller. Updates, so definitely do check out this to see what's coming out sooner than June because there are going to be some updates to the, to the Windows users out there like myself.
0: Uh, there's a funny sort of addendum to this. At the same time that this story dropped, there's a podcast coming at the Vergecast, Verge's sort of flagship podcast, where they're talking about, right, but what if I tell one of these AIs to do a Stuxnet? Uh, like, shut down any cooling systems on a reactor that are running Windows 3.1 or something like that.
1: Yeah. Uh, And they Um, go back and forth a bit. You should check out the... I linked to a TikTok. It's a minute and a half
0: long, but it's worth
1: it. The guest was the CTO for Microsoft, right? Uh, CTO for Microsoft, yeah. Kevin Scott, yeah. And so he said, like, no, I don't think that's possible. And I think it's just, like, a matter of, like, prompt engineering. This seems like something that could theoretically be doable with, like, chaining prompts um, because the prompt he was looking at was, like, please write Stuxnet. And obviously it's not Going to do that because Stuxnet has like a really negative reward value. So it's going to respond like, no, I'm not doing Stuxnet. But if you were writing an API for a system controlled by Windows 3.1 and you needed a method to remote in and then turn some feature on and turn on some other feature off, there's no reason to deny you that as like an application programmer. But like, so these systems, there's still this threat of like, yes, they definitely can do that work, but you need to be smart enough to put it all together and theoretically also not get caught, which you're probably not. So don't don't go out and make to head.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> safe to say there are a lot of ways that you get in trouble if you try to do some kind of thing that AI is not exempt from because you did it funny through AutoGPT. Gonna take a lot of iron to run all of that software. <laughs> Touches the ground somewhere. Yeah, the broader thing on this one is is uh, red teaming. You know the the what the what. Um, CTO of Microsoft is talking. The broader conversation is about red teaming these things. Like the idea that we're trusting these companies to put internal teams in charge of trying these attacks that you talk about in a safe environment and saying like, ooh, that would have worked if it were connected to the internet. (laughs) That's terrifying. But also it's a thing they do with a lot of software. So I don't think they should be doing
1: it. Questions turns into legislation, I feel like pretty quickly. Yeah, that would be a crazy job. Um, congrats to anyone on our red team out there. <laughs> next up, unfortunately, I wasn't able to access this one. So it's going to be a lot of you on this one, Adam. Um, but Hugging Face and IBM are partnering on a new Watson X AI, which is a next generation enterprise studio for AI builders, which is awesome. Like, there's some, I've used the Hugging Face like spaces and inferences, and I've deployed some stuff from Hugging Face. It's a little confusing. Um, so I'm looking forward to the studio to get a little bit of a better developer experience and access some of these um, benefits that Hugging Face offers.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting thread that I tend to follow through watching this stuff happen in in crypto and before that in like server software and Linux and open source in general. Hugging Face is a community of open source AI, machine learning scientists working on projects. You're publishing papers about what they're working on, but also here's the code that went with it. Uh, you can now run this thing if you put it on X hardware.
1: Importantly, they also have a pipeline for actually deploying it.
0: Yeah, you know, like you, so to track to what happened in crypto, as we watched a protocol rollout, you get to a point where like if you you want some aspects of of this kind of software to work. You have to let the network talk to itself. And to do that, you have to have an aspect that says, if you build toward this spec, you'll be able to talk to all of them. That's why email keeps working. Because we built a whole thing on top of that this infrastructure still needs to exist. But it didn't monetize that infrastructure. So anyway, in crypto, you saw everybody announced their own blockchain. And then it all collapsed back in on, we realized over a couple of years that we can't monopolize this aspect of it. So no one should be allowed to. (laughs) Um, Anyway, that's the more theoretical side of it. This is just a significant headline in terms of, you know, IBM, a, a giant in the space. Say what you will about where they progressed from that, but like they're forever in the history books for winning chess games and things like that. Like they've been paying attention. It's fair to hit a point where you go, you know, the best place to build is on top of the stuff that gets to what you were talking about yesterday there's a layer of this where the middle and the middle and the bottom get fat <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff that that happens even before we have to worry about gpt7 and the super intelligence and, and the whatever because some of this stuff doesn't work if you don't share the underlying ability to process
1: contribute totally solving the problems as they emerge definitely the big benefit from hugging face is like custom training um so there's this it's it's against open AI terms and conditions, but theoretically you could collect ten million, hundred million outputs from GPT four and then backtrain a, a less robust model on like, hey, this response should give this output. And that's really easy to do on hugging face. So it kind of it um diffuses intelligence across a bunch of different pieces of hardware, which is pretty exciting. Adobe dropped some good stuff.
0: This one is at the verge. Adobe is adding AI image generator Firefly to Photoshop. They moved really quickly from a beta that I was playing around in to a thing inside of a sincere tool that artists use every day. This is back to the ambient intelligence thread, I think, but also, again, a cool headline. Uh, They know how to build this kind of software. They have the rights to their stock library. You know they're in a really interesting position to make this move over to what it seems to be happening, which is with this. You should check out the the article. I wanted to link to Adobe's post. I'll, I might still put it in the description, but The Verge has a bunch of examples all in one place. But you should also check out Adobe's video and their post. Like they show off some pretty cool stuff. You can literally just highlight a section, all the parts of the dress you don't like. You write put a fancier dress here and then it produces a thing that you're like yep i back up a tiny bit and squint that's good enough (laughs) the lead image here looks like a pink floyd album cover or something like that yeah totally (laughs) which i appreciate yeah i followed that for a long time as a photographer because it was really hard to do composites like that in a dark room (laughs) you know
1: it's just like "Eh,
0: boop. hey put a line here hey put a lake in front of this
1: car what I'm wondering about all this like generative AI stuff is um, their recent Figma acquisition. As a developer, I'm always inside of Figma. I almost never use like Illustrator. That was the diff- yeah, the that's previous happened tobacco. to me as well. I yeah. pay for Creative Cloud though. I don't. I canceled it because I never, I never actually used Photoshop. Right? I was never like arty like that. But I always need UIs. So I wonder at what point, like, it's cool that we're getting this like generative artwork. Um, but I wonder at what point we're starting to get generative UIs. Too. Ambient
0: intelligence. Yeah, yeah. it's just going to all live everywhere.
1: <laughs> I hope, so. I hope so. Right, yeah, like yeah. Adobe. Adobe that's, is that's responsible for implementing it into yeah. um, Figma, and they might decide not to to just like give demand more demand to Photoshop. That's fair too. Um, there was a there was a link that you kind of buried the lead on, uh, I think coming up next, which is the Verify. Let's see if that's in the deck.
0: Oh, it's not in the deck. Uh, but that was that's a good reminder to talk about it. Uh, thank you. Yeah, uh, they also Verify is also run by Adobe or funded, or I don't know what the structure is exactly. Verify is basically a place you can go to verify
1: image provenance and stuff like that. Um, yeah, a new, a new primitive web initiative to provide like this, this is the source of this image and this is the edits that happen to it. And Adobe wants that because it's really easy for them to support that. So to say like, hey, images that don't have this metadata can't be like, referenced in like, news stories would be really, really good for Adobe, obviously. A lot of this already exists because they do stock photography.
0: Yeah, like they have a whole thing stock. I don't like it as much as Shutterstock, but it's included in Creative Cloud, so I use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Although Canva has kind of taken that over because it's just sort of built in; you can just go find a photo. But even Canva is tracking the rights to those photos. Anyway,
1: <laughs> Waitlist activate by Mission Control. What is this?
0: Uh, this is where I gotta, I gotta, I gotta sell my own book. Yeah, we have a launch today. Uh, we, we, on a marketing front, I would say we launched a marketing rebrand, but if you chase it up into the actual offering, we, uh, rolled out an official version of mission control and what we're really trying to do here. So go check it out. Deploy and trust generative AI in minutes. I got to read it like a headline. Yeah. We're trying to make, trying to make it easier for builders to thread together all of the complexity we talk about here <laughs> into functional things without having to worry about code worry about code as much no code platform for being able to do the recipes and stuff. Um, uh, We're starting with an enterprise level thing. So wait list kind of deal, but sign up. And also there's all kinds of links to stuff, other stuff I make to educate and push different balls forward
1: in this front. Uh, Like not having AI ruin things. (laughs) So correct me if I'm wrong, but mission control's main thing is like, it's all about compliance uh, for like enterprise solutions because you can... You can like go and like get a cowboy to like do some AI thing, but you don't know what they're doing with the data. You don't know like where it's going. You don't know if like they're breaking terms to get it done. So from what I understand, mission control like this like is like a sandbox that your enterprise development team can work in to make sure that everything that they're doing isn't misaligned with your company goals and stuff like that, right?
0: Uh, yeah, and the way it's taken shape as we've been working on the problem, you know, because we're at the stage of a startup where you go pitch an idea, you raise some money, and then. When it hits the market, everything starts changing and you and are trying to find a product market fit, right? Uh, you do that by talking to customers and getting answers back. What we've ended up realizing is that the compliance stuff... So early on, compliance was a concern from like enterprise-level clients and stuff. Uh, they're used to aspects of this because of GDPR, things like that. But as it applies to AI, and then we realized over time that that was sort of just like a backbone service. So the cool thing is now we kind of have a narrative of working for a, lo- a long time on the, on the, in the space of how can you deploy trust frameworks to understand the complexity and the risk inside of a system of AIs. But also, I think that's kind of just table stakes so that we can do trust and responsibility right uh, so, so AIs don't become problematic. But then we realized the best way to do that is just to have that be the backbone of a no-code platform that lets us thread together the recipe kind of stuff we talk about here. At the end of the show by just dragging bubbles around. And this is already a way that a lot of like data automation happens. It's just easier to visualize a certain layer of, okay, I need to take all these APIs. I need to have these different things go through here. I need the NSFW filter here. I need the GDPR filter here. I need the whatever's. You know, like it ends up being compliant software if you want to use it that way. It can also just be, hey, this task is better on BARD right now. So I'm going to have BARD do this type of thing and it flows over here and it hits the website and the data structure and the wherever you want to route it on the other side. But that also includes setting up an internal hub for chat gpt or something like that and being able to provide the chat gpt experience while running these tests, right? You can have an internal testing ground for these kinds of things, and so if you're talking about running that kind of stuff, you can wall it off in ways that make it safer so that gets to compliance things. But also you can you can train an AI with your intellectual property to look for possible leak points on these kinds of conversations, it's interesting. The concerns that we're problem. running into, yeah, like filtering and monitoring and stuff is a, big, is a big ask on how to keep IP from leaking. That has turned out to be a problem because everybody wants to use the tools. And so they're going to chat GPT and saying, "Give me a mar- marketing plan for X. And it's like, you just went and talked Leaked, to, to an new agent. It's not... Yeah controlled by the company Yeah. about like the next, yeah, the next and iPhone.
1: It's a, a no-code platform. So you could theoretically do it yourself. But if you don't want to, bang my line, I'll do it for you.
0: Okay, is that the recipe for today? When it yeah. looks like code, I'm inclined to call it neural network nourishment. <laughs> totally. You call this one the data pre-cooker.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like... Yeah. So basically yesterday we were talking about dadjokes.email where you get 365 emails generated from GPT-4 that tell a dad joke and then you send them out for, you know, a dollar for the year, whatever it is. And so then people get this like delightful email every morning. So this pre-generation task of like, let's make sure that we have 365 unique jokes is a little bit difficult with GPT-4 because of limits on the attention. If you have GPT-4, you're probably limited to an 8,000-token limit because to get the 32,000-token limit, you have to run evals, which is this crazy like computer science thing that basically nobody outside of Silicon Valley knows how to do. So if, you're not, if you don't have it, then you're not getting it anytime soon. So we have to have a workaround, and that's what the code on screen is. This is a function called check cosine similarity, and this is just basically an algorithm to compare two pieces of text to make sure that they're not too similar. So an example of a really similar dad joke is um, the one that we told yesterday, what is blue and not very heavy light blue, but you could also generate what is blue and not very light and then say dark blue. And so these jokes are too similar. If I got those in my email back to back, I'd I'd feel like ripped off. So, so you're with,
0: pre-training it with examples. Like you're actually no, giving you're, it concrete You're taking examples? the output,
1: you're taking the output and then you're saying Hey, just make sure that this joke that you just came up with doesn't match any of the other like 100 jokes that you previously came up with. Yeah, and then if they do, then you send it back with few shot learning, and you're saying, "Hey, you just wrote this joke, and that's really similar to this previous joke you already wrote. So, can you write a new one that's different enough?" And kind of the upper limit, like where you start to fail to make sure that these things are unique, is um, there is a, a potential that this starts happening at around 14,000 tokens, which is way beyond our 365 jokes. And then the hard upper limit where you can guarantee that they're like you cannot ensure. That they'll be different is around 14 million tokens. So, think about what you could do with 14 million tokens. That's like the Great Gatsby is 80,000. So, how many Great Gatsby's is that hacker? Yeah, not oh, a big math guy.
0: Neither am I. Yeah. Ask, an a- ask A Ask it. Ask ChatGPT. Yeah.
1: So it's a lot. <laughs> that's that's a very big upper limit. But uh, 14,000 again is like it's about a quarter of the Great Gatsby. So basically, what I want from AI, what I'm looking forward to, is more attention. I always want more attention. And there are models with more. Like Claude is bragging about a
0: hundred thousand already out of Anthropic, who just raised a bunch of money.
1: Yeah, MPT seven billion has like theoretically unlimited. They've they've proven it. Works so that's the like
0: that's like the resource side, right? But also, there's what would that cost you, right, in dollars? Which I don't really know the conversion. Like how much? How you know? How much does it have to run, and then what? You know. Anyway, you get charged at the API level, right? Metered metered existence kind of used to that with AWS and stuff the single shot alternative would be just ask chat GPT this and it sounds like what you're saying is right now it's not so good at a chunk that big if you're telling it to repeat a theme because it's going to retread itself uh, unless you check that against the list and then give it a a rating or something like that
1: right that's exactly correct and I think that's our show thanks everybody for joining us yeah see y'all later I'm Adam. <laughs> I'm Mackenzie. See see, ya. <laughs> see you tomorrow. <laughs>